Hey everyone, my name is Brandon, and in today's episode, we'll be discussing the question often asked by both non-believers and believers, which is, why do bad things happen to good people? Um, This will be according to God's Word and what it says in the book of Job. We'll be reading from Job chapter 1, verses 1 through 22 today. So I'll open us in prayer. God, I thank you for today. I thank you for this time. I pray that you'll bless this time and that the words that I speak will be a reflection of you. I pray that you'll bless the people in this world that are wondering um, why, God, why do bad things happen to good people um, and feel victimized or just feel um, that you aren't a just God when in reality you are just, not to the standards that we often think of as far as what it means to be just. I just thank you for the way that you've created um, this world. And um, although it may be uh, filled with danger and may be wild at times, you also have beauty that you've created. And I thank you for those things and how they um, are apparent in our lives. Pray that you'll bless this podcast and that um, you'll bless the words that I speak. And I pray that I'll honor you during this time. Um, And I thank you for the people that listen and how they faithfully listen to this podcast. I pray that they'll also um, share it with other people. And um, I pray that they'll share the topics with other people. And um, and I pray that this podcast will help them grow and spur each other up in their faith. I pray all these things in your name. Amen. So to provide a little bit of background information about the book of Job, I won't go too far into depth because I don't want to give away parts of the scripture that we're going to be reading today, but just some general information, some bullet points that will be helpful in this passage to know will be that the book of Job is about a man named Job that is from a place called Uz, which is U-Z. It's far away from Israel. It's also important to note that all the characters in the book of Job are non-Israelites. Also, it's important to know that Job is blameless and a righteous man. All right, so with that background information, to preface this, we'll go ahead and jump into some scripture, starting in Job chapter 1, verse 1. This section is titled, Job's Character and Wealth. Verse 1, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day. And they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. Um, And consecrate, as a side note, means to set apart or make holy. For Job said, It may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This Job did continually. The next part is called Satan allowed to test Job. Verse 6. Now that there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, 
and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, who fears God and turns away from evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. The next section is called Satan Takes Job's Property and Children. Verse 13. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. And the Sabians fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and servants and consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck down the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young people, and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose and tore his robe, shaved his head, and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. So now to provide a little bit of background information about Job. Um, so as I mentioned, the book of Job is about a man who is upright and righteous and followed God. Um, he lived in a place called Uz, and all the characters in this story are non-Israelites. Um, so in this story, there's no clear historical setting, um, but these three things seem to be intentional. The point being that the author doesn't want us to focus on the historical setting of the book of Job. Um, he wants us to focus on the questions raised by Job's suffering. It's also important to note that in this passage, or in the book of Job, it's broken up into four main parts. There's the prologue, which are chapters 1 through 2. There's Job and his friends' discussions, which are in chapters 3 through 37. There's God's response to Job, which is in chapters 38 through 41. And there's the epilogue in chapter 42. So in the prologue, uh, we're transported to heaven, and God is holding court with his heavenly staff and Satan. Uh, we see that Satan accuses Job 
and says that Job is only righteous because God rewards Job. Satan says, let him suffer and then see how righteous he is. And so God agrees, which we may find confusing. Uh, We then will often assume that the book of Job will answer the question, why does God allow good people to suffer? But in reality, it doesn't. Instead, the actual questions answered are, is God just and does God run the world according to justice? These questions are answered in the end of the book of Job. We also see later in the book of Job, after he loses his livestock, and then after his wife rebukes him, his three friends try to offer him wisdom. And they represent the best of Near Eastern thought about God, suffering, and the human condition. So they're kind of like the the experts on why Job might be suffering or why Job is suffering. So the next section in Job is Job and his friends' discussion. So Job's debate with his friends are broken up into these three cycles, and the flow of these uh, cycles of debate are in the following format. First, um, Job responds to the debate topic or question, like, is God just? And then after that, um, his first friend uh, responds, and then Job responds to that, his first friend's response, and then his second friend responds to Job, and so on and so forth. So as I mentioned, the first debate question that Job and his friends tackle is, is God just? And the second one is, does God run the universe on the strict principle of justice? And the third one is, how is Job's suffering to be explained? So the big assumption by Job and his friends about what God's justice ought to look like is that for every wise and good human action, according to their idea of God's justice, there should be success and reward. Um, And then similarly, to parallel that, for every evil or stupid action done by human, there should be or ought to be, according to Job and his friends, disaster and punishment for that person. So Job's constant argument is that he is innocent and therefore his suffering is not divine justice. And this brings him to two conclusions. Conclusion A, that God doesn't run the world according to his justice, or God is unjust. And so the friend's argument is that God is just, and their implication is that God runs the world according to justice. And their conclusion is that Job must have sinned. So as a result of that, the friends start making up ways that Job could have sinned in Job chapter 22. We see Job protest and gives up on his friends. He actually takes his case directly up with God. So Job is on this emotional roller coaster. He used to think that God is just, but now he can't justify that based on his own suffering, uh, where he thinks that he's innocent. So then we see Later, that Job has an outburst. He says that God is a bully and that God has orchestrated all the injustice in the world. But then we see that Job is actually afraid because he still hopes that God is just. So then another character in the story, Elihu, shows up and he argues that God is just. He says that God runs the world according to justice, and his conclusion is that suffering may be a warning from God to help that person avoid future sin because suffering builds character. Elihu doesn't know this for sure, but he is certain that Job is out of line when he blames God for injustice. 
So the next part that I find really interesting is God's response to Job's accusations that God is unjust and that every injustice in the world is a result of God's doing. Um, So God shows up in this whirlwind. He responds to Job's accusations that God is unjust. And he asks Job just straight up, where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Then God starts to explain the complexities of running the world and what that looks like, like orchestrating the eating patterns of some animals. You know, there are different complexities of the world, such as the everyday life of animals and people and plants and their patterns and the way animals and people grow and plants grow and just the complexities of running the world. So Job's assumption about God's justice is based on a deeper assumption, uh, which is the assumption that Job has enough perspective and is limited in short lifetime to make such a claim about God. So God's response is that Job doesn't have a universal vantage point like God. God's conclusion is that Job is not in a position to even accuse God. So God asked Job, how would you like to micromanage the world for a day according to your understanding of how justice ought to be, where every single good or bad decision has its respective perfect result? And the reality is that the world is extremely complex and that each decision, both good or bad, does not have a perfect and equally good or bad result. Another part that I find really interesting is that God talks about these two creatures called behemoth and leviathan which represent the beauty and danger of the world god explains that his world is just like these two fantastic creatures that he created Um, it's kind of funny because when i think of these two fantastic beasts that are like some conglomeration of different animals that god has made uh, it reminds me of um if anyone ever has ever watched or listened to or, or read harry potter Um, there's a creature in it that's called a hippogriff. And the specific hippogriff that is in this story of Harry Potter is named Buckbeak. And for those that haven't read Harry Potter, basically a hippogriff is, um, it's part, I think it's like part eagle for the head, the body is like a lion, and then the feet I think are like, um, are like the feet of a horse. So it like gallops around and makes loud like eagle screeches and stuff like that. And it's really interesting and beautiful and magnificent. But also we learn in the story of Harry Potter that you have to respect and bow to the creature before you can approach it. This animal is perfectly safe as long as you respect it and follow um, you know, the, the ways of this animal, similar to how we respect and follow God's word and trust in him knowing that he is good. Um, so it's kind of like this this beautiful the world is that God has made is like this beautiful these beautiful animals um, or creatures the behemoth and Leviathan and then also buckbeak um, because the world is good but not perfect we're always safe it's ordered but it's also wild and it's beautiful but is also sometimes dangerous so the next question that's revealed in the story of job is why is there suffering in the world and the reason why, that can be discerned from Job is that we live in an amazing and extremely complex world, but it's not designed by God to prevent suffering. There will still be suffering um, in the world. And 
Job isn't in a position to make a claim about God and how God ought to be in his justice and how he carries out justice in the world. Um, Job demands an explanation for this and God's justice, and God responds with, I invite you to trust my wisdom. Job responds with humility to God. He apologizes for accusing God and acknowledges that he has overstepped his bounds. So that concludes God's response. So the next part is the epilogue where God says that the friends were wrong and their ideas were too simple to the complexities of the world. Um, God says that Job has spoken rightly about him, but we know that he that this doesn't apply to everything that Job said because Job drew hasty and wrong conclusions about how Job believed God ought to operate according to how justice should work. Um, but God honors Job's struggle and honesty, and he's, God. we later find out that God says the right way to handle anger with God is to speak honestly to him and to speak to God in prayer. So in conclusion of the story of Job, his family and fortunes are restored as a generous gift from God, but not as a result of Job's good behavior. So the book of Job is an invitation to trust God's wisdom during our suffering, not to try and figure out the reasons for it. Because if we search for reasons, we tend to either A, simplify God like Job's friends, or B, we try to accuse God in our limited understanding like Job. Job invites us to honestly bring our pain and grief to God and to trust that God actually cares and that he knows what he's doing. So I'll wrap us up with some reflection questions. So the first one is, what is one thing that has caused you to be angry or confused with God recently? So for me, I feel that one thing that's caused me to be angry um, and confused with God recently would be um, that Kenzie and I have been trying to get pregnant for nearly a year now, but have been unsuccessful. Um, and the reason why this is frustrating is because that Kinsey and I really want to be parents in the near future and that each month that we don't get pregnant or aren't pregnant, um, it just causes Kinsey to be upset and makes me feel upset that she's upset. So it's like this cycle. But I believe that the next step for me in my anger and frustration with God is to pray and to pray during the rest of December about starting the process of becoming qualified to foster children in the state of Illinois, um, starting that process in January. Um, so that's my next step um, that I've learned from the book of Job on how to handle anger and, um, and confusion from circumstances and outcomes in my life. Uh, the next question is, what is one thing that has caused you to be anxious recently? So one thing that has caused some anxiety in my life um, has just been with my grandma Bean and her mental uh, capabilities. They've um, been declining in general, but um, and I've been concerned about it in general, but also specifically as it relates to me meeting with her and building a relationship with her and then including little tidbits of, the, of scripture to share the gospel with her. Um, because I wouldn't say that she's a Christian, um, and I don't think she would either. Um, so I, I'm just wanting to build a relationship with her first. Um, you know, she's my grandma. She trusts me. Um, 
I know that it's difficult to um, to kind of preach or share the gospel with your family, but I, I have felt kind of called to do so. And so, um, so I think my next step for that is just to also pray about meeting with my grandma and, and spending or spending time with her and discerning when and when and how to share the gospel with her and um, watch a church sermon or something from from church with her to to kind of you know she she may not be always willing to go to church but she is often more willing to watch something with me um, like a sermon or, or something like that the last question for those of you that are angry or confused with God is when will you spend time in, in a prayer of limit and limit just simply means to to share your frustrations or things that have confused you or that you're angry about um, with God and just profess them to God and just say, why God have you done this to me? I don't understand. Um, but um, I'm still going to trust in you or um, I still know that you are good. So just a prayer similar to that. When are you going to do that? This week, also, if you've been feeling anxious, when this week can you set aside time to lay your anxieties at the feet of Jesus and just share your anxieties with God? So I'll wrap us up in prayer. God, I thank you for today. I thank you for your word and the story of Job and how it provides um, just a refreshing story about a man who did life in a way that was very righteous, yet even though he was a good person, bad things still happen to him. Uh, we know that in this world, there will still be trouble. There, we will face suffering. It is guaranteed. Um, but you are still good and faithful. And so I just pray that people will remember, remember that and just pray, pray a prayer of lament whenever they're feeling angry at you. And I pray that they won't bottle it up and turn away from you. I pray that they'll run head on into you and spend time in your word, whether it be the book of Job or another book in the Bible, um, and just continue anchored to you. I pray that you'll bless the rest of this week and that you'll be with the people as they handle their frustrations with you or anxieties with you. And I pray all these things in your name. Amen. <laughs>